Beverly said she wanted to go, so we might just sign her up as a counselor. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bible to John 17. John 17. We'll jump in there in a moment. Amen. See you, kiddos. Got a little ringy-dingy going on. Y'all can help me with that. I appreciate it. John chapter 17. Hold your place there. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the ministry of the Word of God. Lord, you said in Titus that you manifest your Word through preaching. So today, let the Word of God be made alive in our hearts. As we share your word, may it bring forth much fruit in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. As you know, this month we've been talking about, we started last Sunday, and I kind of mentioned it to you a few weeks ago. We've been talking about praying for the house. You know, Jesus uh, uh, talked about us as a house and used many different illustrations about the church. And and, uh, he said, my house, speaking of the church is supposed to be a what? A house of prayer for all nations. So this month certainly has a prayer emphasis and, and uh, because I believe, you know, there's great power in prayer. And I want to continue to uh, uh, just, if you would like some great reading material, something that will inspire you and move you and motivate you, go to Lifeway today and pick up, a, or tomorrow, pick up a copy of The Circle Maker. Uh, and it'll explain the title when you get there or when you begin to read. But a great book that is inspiring me. I'm reading through it slowly, methodically. Uh, that book did not inspire this series but came along to me uh, uh, by way of a friend. I appreciate uh, Kevin uh, Kevin from Granbury, Kevin and Vita Jones. He pastors a uh, church in, uh, in Granbury. He called me actually and said, I want to... Uh, encourage you to pick up this book and begin to read it. So as I did, I began to call my pastor friends and ministers and say, hey, you got to read this book. This is a great book that will inspire you and, uh, and, and me to, to greater levels of prayer impact. How many of you know prayer is supposed to make a difference in our life? Uh, and so I encourage you to do that. And I really believe God has me here today as your pastor to stir you and stir the pot and hopefully motivate you to the place of prayer and not just the place of prayer, but really begin to pray for your church, praying for the house and, uh, and praying that God would help us and strengthen us. And, and I gave you, I believe, under the directive of the Holy Spirit, a five-fold uh, prayer outline for us. Let's walk through it quickly. I shared them with you a few weeks ago. And then again last Sunday, uh, I believe God wants us to pray uh, that God would forgive the house. How many of you know we've got to be right with him? Amen. We've got to be holy and righteous. Uh, we've got to pray that God would free the house, uh, walk in new levels of liberty in our life, and pray that God would focus the house. Uh, how many of you know we need real focus to accomplish his kingdom purpose? And then fill the house. Everyone say fill the house. Not just with people, but with the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know when the Holy Spirit begins to fill our lives, the, the house will begin to be filled by, by way of the power and the presence of God. So I'm asking you to pray these prayers and begin to just believe God. And number five, finance the house. You know, Jesus taught us to pray that God would supply our needs. And, and uh, you know, he talked more about money uh, and, and possessions than he did heaven and hell combined. Uh, he wants us to know that he wants to take care of us financially. 
financially. And so those are the five-fold uh, uh, prayer points that we talked about. And I would encourage you to take them and just begin to, to, to use that as a prayer outline over your church family. And I, I want you to know, and today really is just another day to motivate you in that direction. And so today I hope that happens. Uh, you know, I thought about it from a mathematical perspective. Let me do the math here. Uh, you take forgiveness and add freedom plus freedom plus focus and then you times because listen when you get filled with the holy spirit there's a multiplication this is my word a multiplicity of effectivity uh that i don't think effectivity is a word but i made it up maybe it'll make it into wikipedia or something one day but you know when you get forgiven and then you get free and then you get focused on god's purpose and plan and get filled with the holy spirit it will equal fruitfulness in your life Think about Peter. Think about him. And, and, oh, and because the context is praying for the church, when the church begins to walk in forgiveness and begins to walk in freedom and begins to walk in the focus of God and gets filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to lead us to a new level of productivity and fruitfulness in our life and in the earth. I thought about Peter, and you think about him. You know, he, he blew it really bad, but he got forgiveness from God, right? Jesus walked back into his life. And, and undoubtedly liberated him, forgave him, and liberated him from the hang-ups that, uh, you know, because Jesus was hung up for his hang-ups and liberated him and began to give him some real focus in life and then filled him with the Holy Spirit. And what happened there in Pentecost was he became very fruitful for God. You see, before the church can become fruitful... We've got to find real forgiveness and freedom and focus and get filled up with the Holy Spirit. Are you catching me today? Amen. And just by the way of our outline, I believe when all that begins to happen, uh, the residual effect, well, God, God always pay for, pays for what he orders. Amen. And, and so the financial provision is just an outcropping of God's fruitful blessing upon us. And so... So I just thought about that from a mathematical perspective in the church that if we'll begin to operate in this, it will begin to lead us down the road of fruitfulness and productivity and we'll see God begin to fill the house and, and focus us. And so there you go. This morning I want to look again at John 17 and we've, we looked at it a little bit last Sunday and then last Wednesday we kind of took it apart. We kind of dissected it a little bit and just kind of showed you. I think I had at least five facets of prayer that Jesus prayed for the church there in John 17. I want you to read it again this week and just begin to let the word of God and the prayer of Jesus kind of uh, uh, you know, establish you more clearly in his purpose and plan because Jesus prayed this prayer just prior to his betrayal and then ultimate uh, Gethsemane experience and then death, burial, and resurrection. So, and basically the content is he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for the church future and he's talking to his father about that he's finished his earthly ministry and he's ready to be glorified. And so I encourage you to go back and hear last Wednesday's message. You know, if you don't come on Wednesday, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you still ought to attend by way of our website and listen on Wednesday night. Uh, and I'm sure everybody has a 45-minute uh, block of time somewhere where you could do that and listen to this teaching on the prayer of Jesus as he prayed for the church, the embryonic beginning. And, and if you look in verse 9, he says to God, I pray for them. And then catch this. He says, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And so 
his focus in his prayer before he goes to Gethsemane is not for the world. And you and I need to catch this a little bit. It's not for the world. It's for his church. And if Jesus thought it a top priority to pray for the church, then I think you and I ought to take that to consideration as well. And he said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you gave me. And then verse 20, he said, I'm not praying. He said, I don't pray for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now catch this. Jesus knew that what was about to transpire was going to globally impact history. And the gospel of Jesus Christ through the influence of these ragtag, you know, nobodies, fishermen, you know, has, you know, has-beens, uneducated men was going to supernaturally impact history. And he said, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. How many of you know he was praying for you? Think about it. Think about it. If you believe the Bible, just before he was betrayed, just before he was crucified, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you and about his church, and he prayed for us. That's a powerful revelation that you and I need to embrace in our life. And the cool thing is is, uh, that God invested his most valued possession in the form of his son, Jesus, so the whole world could be saved. And then Jesus turns around and invested in his fledgling church, the responsibility of fulfilling the Great Commission. And he prays for them that they would be strong and they, that they would be protected, that they would be sanctified, that they would be one. And the reason for that was because the world needed to be saved. Now, the cool part about the prayer of Jesus that he prayed there in John 17, he never stopped praying for you. When he prayed for you there that day, he never stopped. In fact, the Bible tells us in in Hebrews 7.25 that he's still praying. Somebody say he's still praying. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Today, he's praying for you. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's talking to his Father about us, about the church. I believe he's talking to us, to his Father about Church on the Rock North. He's praying for us. And so we need to embrace that and realize that, that, that God did that. And why did he do that? Why was he praying for us? Was it just because he loved us so much? Well, he does love us. In fact, when you read the John 17 prayer, you will see as you read between the lines, he really loved these guys. He said, I've, I've given them everything you told me. And, 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 they, they, and in fact, he's bragging on these guys to God. And at the close of his prayer, he, he makes mention that he wants to see them again. That he, as he's about to be glorified, he wants to see them when they are glorified. He loves these guys. Everyone say, he loves me. 
He really does. But the ultimate purpose for Jesus praying this prayer, his motive was not just out of his love for these guys, but his reason and his motive of the master uh, in praying this was for the whole world's sake. You see, he wanted the church to be spared and saved and sanctified and empowered and equipped Not just for their sake, but for the world's sake. Look in John 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. In other words, he knew they were on a mission. That the same mission Jesus was on, they are on. It was like phase two of save the world mission. Jesus did his part, and now it was time for the church to do her part. How many of you know, how many of you thank God for what Jesus did on Calvary's cross? But that's only a portion of the equation. The ultimate, uh, uh, you know, the, the second part is the fact that God has for his church the responsibility to, to, to spread the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world. And the reason he prayed for them was not just for their sake, but for the sake of lost humanity. Look what he said in John 17, verse 21 and 23, two different places. He said, the reason I'm praying for them, the reason I ask you to do these things for them is that the wor- so the world may believe that you sent me. And so you, need to, you and I need to understand the motivation of the master in his prayer. And we need to embrace that too, that we've got to pray for the church, not just for the church's sake. You know, most people are thinking about the here and now. Most people's prayers are about the here and now. Oh, God, I need you right. Come on now. I need you right now. And I, hey, how many of you know he can hear us and he can come right now? He can help us right now. But most people aren't thinking about way out in the future like Jesus was when he said, hey, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for those who are going to believe because my prayers are reaching way beyond the here and now. I want my prayers to make a difference throughout all eternity. Amen. How many of you know we never know who we're praying for and what God might do in our midst? We've got to catch that vision and realize God has a big job for the church, for Church on the Rock North. We've got to pray for her, amen? And so God invested his son Jesus into the world. He gave up his prized possession and the Jesus invested in his church the responsibility of fulfilling this great mission and to be able to accomplish this great kingdom purpose. In fact, the word sent, where he said, as you sent me, even so I send them, uh, it it means I've sent them on a mission, amen? Look at somebody, tell them, you've got a mission from God to fulfill. Tell somebody, you've got a mission from God to fulfill this morning. We really do. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul kind of defined it a little better. He, He said, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. You see, now it's, you know, when Jesus was here, it was all about Jesus' ministry. And now it's the church's time where Christ in us, the hope of glory, makes himself manifest. And we are his hands extended. And we are ambassadors for Christ. And we are, and the Bible says there in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that as though God were pleading through us to the world, be reconciled to God. That's why Jesus prayed for the church. And that's why we need to pray for the church as well. Pray for these little kids that are back there in the back. We don't know who those little kids might grow up to be. In fact, 
though I'm running out of time, I'm going to tell you the story. It'll make you want to go buy the book. I told Beverly this story. I read the story, the illustration of this man. I think his name's Mark Batterson. He pastors a church in Washington, D.C. He told the story. He, he, he was a part of this mega church back when he was 13. Uh, well, they grew up in there. And so uh, when he was 13, uh, he got deathly sick in the middle of the night. Something went wrong. They, his parents rushed him to the hospital. He's there in the emergency room. They didn't even, the church was so big, they didn't have the pastor's cell phone like most if you do. There was no cell phones back then. And they looked up in the phone book and they found their pastor's home number. They called him and said, there's an emergency. Our son may, they say he may not make it. A little 13 year old boy, can you come and pray for him? And uh, Mark says he remembers there in the emergency room, this big man came with these big hands and he was in his full three piece suit with his tie, like he slept in it and showed up there with his big hands. And he prayed this prayer of faith over this little boy and believed God for his miracle. And he said, little did he know back then that the little boy he was praying for would one day be the father of his grandchildren. You see, you never know the power and the impact of your prayers. He said, little did he know that the prayer he was praying and the miracle he was believing God for would one day give birth to a church in Washington, D.C. that's making a huge difference in the world. And now this little preacher here in Beaumont's talking about. Our prayers are powerful and they go out into the distance. You need to understand, it's not just about the here and now. Amen. So, that's why we got to pray for the church. I think about Peter, we mentioned him, Peter, uh, in Luke chapter 22. Jesus said this to him before he uh, uh, went to Calvary. He, He said, you know, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. How many of you know he did stumble, but ultimately his faith did not fail? I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. He said, and when you've returned to me, what did he tell him to do? Win the lost? No. He said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you've returned to me, evangelize the world? I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you return to me, study the Bible. There was no Bible then. Or write the Bible, mate. No, didn't tell him that. He said, strengthen the brethren. Now think about that. Here's Peter who would preach a great message and thousands of people would be born again. But the primary purpose, the top priority that Jesus had over Peter and over the church is that we've got to be strong and capable in the hour that God has given us so the world can be saved. And so you and I need to embrace that reality. He said, strengthen the brethren. And then when he did blow it, I love this. You think about Peter and you think about when he blew it, he denied the Lord. And there in John 21, when the resurrected Christ walks back into his life, what does the resurrected Christ tell him to do? He said, hey, do you love me? Yeah, but I don't know if I love you the way I need to love you. He said, did he say evangelize the world? No. Did he say preach Pentecost? No. What did he say? Feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus knew that the, the, listen, the way the world is born again, the way the world comes to Christ is through the impact of the local church. We are God's plan A and there is no plan B. 
And so the priority upon us is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and begin to cover our church family in prayer. Amen. In fact, how many of you got smartphones? Let me back up and say, how many of you have something on your phone that will remind you to take a pill? Come on, lift your hand if you got one. It'll remind you. Okay. How many of you have, uh, well, let's just stay right. Okay. Take your smartphone and give yourself a reminder. Oh, it's an amazing thing. You can, you can have it remind you every day to pray for your church. Think about it. To pray for your church and begin to cover your church in prayer. Amen. And so with that in mind this morning, I just want us to embrace the reality that God has for us and praying for our church family. And, I, and we, you know, Jesus invested, or pardon me, God invested his most priceless commodity. Hello. Amen. In Jesus Christ. And so today, let me just motivate you. Let me just give you some thoughts today. Why on earth do we need to... uh, Give me that. Amen. Why on earth do we need to spend time, energy, and effort praying for the church Well, I've told you about the motive of the master, but let me just kind of make it personal to you this morning. Let me give you three thoughts. Why do we make a prayer investment? Why should we invest so heavily uh, in our church family at the place of prayer? Number one, let me tell you. Why? Because we are loved. Why make a prayer investment? We are loved. Now listen to this. God invested his great love in us. He did. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Why do we love our church enough to pray for her? Because God loved us enough to die. Send His Son to die for us. Amen. Think about it for a moment. Everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. But most people don't know 1 John 3.16. Which basically says this. If God loves us. Guess what? We need to love one another. And let me say to you today. If we say we love God. Read 1 John. If you say we love God. But we really don't love our church family enough to pray for them. You know last night while most of us. Including myself. I was spending time with family last night. While most of us were enjoying the, the, the goodness of the Lord. And the land of the living. Trent how many guys gals were here last, last night? 20? 20 plus people. I don't know. Quite enough. They were, they were praying for you. They were praying for me. And so, why? Because they love God and they love you. And we've got to understand that too. Why do we make a prayer investment in our church family? Because we are loved. God loved us and we ought to love somebody else enough to pray through for them. We don't know what's going on in the person. Let me just tell you. Let me ask you this. How many of you believe this? If, if you knew what was going on in, 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 in people's lives right here in this room, and you knew some of the things that were going on in their life right now, you and I would be, come on, say it, shocked. And we'd go, oh my goodness, OMG. 
It's really true. And how many of you know, you don't need to know what's going on to make a difference in their life. In fact, my Bible tells me we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit will pray through us with groanings too deep for words. We just need to pray for our church family. Amen? Hallelujah. Why? We make a prayer investment because we are loved. Number two, because we've been lifed by God. He came and spoke life into us. Jesus invested his life in us. Even when we were dead, Ephesians chapter 2 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Jesus came and he died and he paid a great price for us. When we were dead, he came and lifed us by the power of God. In fact, John 10, 10 says that, that, that he, he gives us life and gives us what life more abundantly. Why should we invest in prayer for our church family? Because, hey, we've been lifed and now we need to share that life at the place of prayer with others. And number three, why? Because we have been loosed. We've been set free. Jesus invested his life so we could have liberty over sin, Satan, and ourself. In fact, Romans chapter 6 says we used to be slaves of sin. We've been set free. And there are people all around us, yes, in the church family, who need to experience that same level of liberty. And what did Jesus say was his mission in Luke chapter 4 when he came and he picked up the book and the scroll and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and set at liberty those who are bound and preach the acceptable year of the Lord and proclaim uh, 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 freedom and liberty to the family of God. And, and that's why Jesus came. And how many of you know we We've got the same mission upon us. And so we have the responsibility to pray over our church family that God would would, uh, pour out his love upon them, that he would pour out his life upon them, that he would loose them. You see, we've been given much by God. I don't know about you, but I thank God that he loved me. I thank God that he gave me a new life in Christ, that I'm on my way to heaven from from Beaumont, Texas right now. I thank God that he liberated me and he's continuing to liberate me and free me and move me to another level. In fact, Jesus taught this lesson in Luke 12. He said, to whom much is given, much is required. And so we have a responsibility to the whole world to pray for our church family. That's why we pray for our church family. We pray that God would forgive us, that God would fill us and free us and focus us on God's purpose. Amen? You see, there's been something going on behind the scenes that is now so prevalent today, it has come out of the closet. And it is this, the strategic and purposeful devaluing of the local church in the minds of people. It's been a strategic, satanic attack and strategy to in the minds not only of the world. How many of you know the world certainly does not value the local church? If they did, they would be here. But in the peoples of God's mind, there is a strategic attack, listen to me, 
to devalue the local church in the minds of God's people. And the statistics are out. There are massive numbers of people who say they love God and worship Him, but do not love His church. Why? It's because if the church is not strong and healthy, the world does not get the gospel. And so today, we can't let that spirit in. How many of you know if you're praying for the church, it's hard to not care about the church? And young people, in large numbers. Listen to me, college and career. I thank God for a strong college and career group we have. By and large, that's who was praying for you last night while you and I were eating pizza and enjoying family. Hey, listen, they were up here bombarding heaven for the church. Okay, I thank God for them. But listen carefully. You are in a, in a uh, demographic that has been, been uh, uh, targeted by the devil to devalue the local church in your mind. And in this room, it has happened with numbers of us. It happened to you this morning a little bit, but you made it anyway. Oh, I don't know if I should go. Was that just your flesh? Maybe a little, but I'm telling you, it's the influence of the evil one. Because let me tell you, who does not devalue this church? God Almighty and Jesus. In fact, read Ephesians 5. He says it's a glorious church. Why? He sees not just the here and now, but way into the future. We are God's plan A and there is no plan B. And we have a responsibility to make sure we pray the church through to her finest hour. Amen. And let me just tell you this and we're going to close. A few years ago, I had a prophetic insight. Because see, I run in a crowd of with pastors who are most of them pastors of the back churches that are really the backbone of America. Did you know most churches, the large majority of churches are under 100 people? And we hear all about the mega churches. We hear all about the big churches. Woohoo, man. But the large majority of American church is small town, rural America. And by and large, let me tell you, how those pastors of those churches feel. They feel ineffective, incapable, and unimportant. How do you know that? Because I talk to them all the time. And because I is one. But God dropped a word in my heart about us. Speaking of the backbone of America. And this is what he said to me. He said, small town church in small town America 
will one day become the most popular place in town. I wonder why. Because let me tell you something. The darker it gets all over our world. And what's getting dark. The brighter the light shines. We're very important to God. We're very important to this community. And we're very important to the world. I once was young and now I'm a little older. And I can tell you the influence of the local church that I've been a part of. When I look back, in fact, I just look back, I could go back to when Beverly and I were first really got saved and got filled with the Holy Spirit. See the impact. Really, other than my childhood, I've only been a part of four churches. Beverly Hills Baptist Church. Dallas, Texas, where God filled me with the Holy Spirit and called me to ministry. The church on the rock and rock wall where I, Beverly and I served until we came to little town at Quitman, Texas and helped our friend Jeff Wickwire birth the first church on the rock church out of a rock wall church, little Quitman, Texas. And here I am today, four churches. And though I can't tell you that in every, every church, and in, in fact, two out of the four churches that I just mentioned to you are no longer in existence today. That is sad. But the influence of those churches lives on through people like me. People like my friend Sonny Conanser and other guys. And I can tell you that our impact here can be massive. David and Jennifer Hatley, who are in Africa today, who I'll be with in just a month, he was a parts, he owned a car parts store. And he got saved at Church on the Rock in Rockwall which no longer exists. But he got saved there. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. He got forgiven. He got free. He got focused. And he got filled. And he came up to me one day and said, I think I'm going to sell my parts store and move to Africa and be a missionary. I said, you have lost your mind. He's been there over 25 years. You tell me the local church is not important. You tell me it's not worth praying for every day. And I will tell you, you are deceived, my friend. Because I have seen it. And I see into the future. boys and little girls who grow
grow up to be difference makers. Because of the influence of their local church. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus. Stir us today to pray our destiny into reality.